and uh, that'll be good. Ooh, we get a different background up there? Yeah, you'll fix that. Very good. All right, we are continuing in our, I, and this is a little bit different for me, uh, to use uh, the catechism as a text. Um, but I really just felt that this is what we needed to do for this year um, to walk this through. And, and so today I want to talk to you about the YBH of glorifying God. Now, if you've been around us any length of time at all, you'll, you'll know the old timers here today. Uh, because I want to ask the question, what does YBH stand for? Yeah, yeah, but how? Okay. So I want to talk to you today about this, this concept of glorifying God. Yeah, but how? How do we glorify God? And it's, and it's, so very, it's such an important thing. Um, the scriptures are all about the glory of God. In, in the little tiny uh, letter of Jude, it always kind of makes me smile because they say Jude chapter 1. Well, Jude only has one chapter, <laughs> so that's all you got. But in verse 25, Jude says this. This is kind of, as he's closing up, he says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, and then listen to this, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So we have glory and, glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and what, church? Forever. And then he pronounces the, the amen, which I don't know if you know this, but amen is um, kind of like the word gospel. It's a transliteration. In other words, they never translated it. Amen means so be it or let it be. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a statement of agreement. So may, may this statement be true or may this statement come to pass. So we see that the glory of God is, is, is vitally important. So I want to walk through what what I do with, with my kids. And it, by the way, it's a great way to approach Scripture as you read the Scripture. Whenever you read God's Word, you ought to look for three aspects in whatever you're reading. And, and that is, you always look for something for the head. That's something to know. You wanna, there's always something to learn as you read God's Word in there. Do you ever learn anything when you read the Bible? Yeah. I hope so. So there's, some, there's knowledge. You're, you're going you're gonna to learn something. But then there also needs to be something for the heart. And that is something that you receive or accept or embrace. And then there's something for your hand. It is, what is this text calling me to do? So what information, what new knowledge is, or, or, or is being transmitted here? How am I supposed to receive that? What does it look like to embrace this knowledge? That's the heart. And then what, how am I supposed to express that? In, in this life that God's given me, and that's your hand. So I just want to deal with a head to heart and a hand today about how do we glorify God. Um, I know our kids have been working through for a couple of years a, another catechism, and a catechism is nothing but a question and answer, and it's a great way to learn. Um, but in the old Westminster Catechism, the very first question says, what is the chief end of man? Does anybody know the answer? Yeah, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? So the so the whole the whole reason you're here is that you might glorify God and thereby enjoy Him forever. That's that's why you're here. Have, have you ever wondered about your purpose? Honestly, has that ever been a thought in your mind? Why why am I here? We usually ponder this question at 6 a.m. on Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off. <laughs> 
and we're getting up to go to work one more time and start that work week over. And we think, you know, why am I here? Why did God put me on this earth? Well, now you know the answer to that. God put you here to glorify him and enjoy him forever. So the question ought to be, how can I glorify God today as I go to work? How can I glorify God today as I go to school? How can I glorify God today as I go about the tasks that God has preordained for me to walk through? And by the way, the people that God's going to put in my path that I may not even know about. So those are some of the questions you should be asking uh, as we look. at. I like how John Piper put it. He kind of takes a little bit of a twist on the first question of the Westminster Catechism. And he puts it this way. Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now I want you to ponder that for a minute. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But to do this properly, to understand this properly, we, we've got to back up a little bit and we've got to define one major term. Uh, and the reason I'm not defining God is we spent three weeks defining God, haven't we, in the catechism. Uh, but there is a word in here that needs to be defined, and that is that word uh, glorify. Glorify. Now, that's a churchy word, isn't it? I would be willing to bet you that nobody here used the word glorify in a sentence this week. Probably not. So when, when it says that, that how can we glorify God... What, I'm asking you what, do you, what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? It's, it's obviously a verb. Give Him glory. Make Him famous. To praise Him. To make much of Him. Good. What's that? Believe what He said. Absolutely. And that is a method by, of bringing glory to God. But you see, we run right over those words, and if we don't define them, the whole thing loses its, its focus, it loses its power. Because the goal here is to, to do something. That word glorify is a verb. It's, it's an action word, right? So it, it must have a meaning. And by the way, it's all over Scripture. I, I think most of you know that, but that's why the Westminster Catechism starts off with, what's the chief end of it? Why are we here? And they got it right. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know, when you look at this, this book that you hold in your hand, the 66 books of Scripture, I used to think that the theme of this book was the salvation of man, but I was wrong. That's not what this book is about. This book is about one thing and one thing only, and that's the glory of God. Now, does the salvation of man bring God glory and fame? Yeah, it does. Okay, but, but that's only one way. The destruction of the wicked brings God glory. So there's a negative way to bring God glory and a positive way. The question is, which side of that ledger do we want to fall on uh, as, as we stand before him? So let me back up to this word glorify. You guys got, it's like you guys were reading my notes today. Uh, it, the, the words I got here is the, to glorify means to praise. And I liked it. Mom said, uh, to make much of. That, that's a really good definition. To make much of God. Um, and then Aunt Faith got that one right. And, and it's something that I've tried to teach over the years here. It is to make famous. To make God famous. Now think about that for a minute. How, how can your 
everyday life make God famous? Okay, when you think of a famous person, who do you think of? What, what name comes to mind? You guys got to wake up. I know it's hot in here, so I'm going to keep you awake. We tried to fix that, but everybody brings the heat with them when they come in here. Who's a famous person? Paul Jettle. You did not hear my question. I didn't say infamous. I said famous. <laughs> Who's a famous person? that When you think of a, oh, that's a famous person. Who do you think of? Elton John. I think the first answer was better. <laughs> all right, Elton John, but we all know who Elton John is. Who else? I was thinking, who said that? <laughs> that was my thought. Elvis Presley, but that's only the old people. My kids have, my little kids have no idea who Elvis Presley is. You don't know who Elvis Presley is? Wow. She, she's only married to his namesake. That's, that's funny. I'm a little slow today, but I get that. I'll get there eventually. Yeah, so we think of these people. A famous person is when you say that person's name, everybody sees their face or has, you know, has a definition of that person. Now, even Elton John, you know, you see a piano and a way overdone outfit, but some really good music. Okay. What's that? Yeah, and that's right, those big funky glasses. Now, my picture's getting fuller. <laughs> Here. But see, when we say the name, we automatically attach an image, right? Here's the thing. Now, don't let this be lost on you today. When we say God and your very life and existence, listen, people should meet you and very in very short order, they should be having a concept that, a, there is a God, and this person is living to make much of that God. And I just want to be, I just want to ask an honest question. When's the last time you met someone and you think that happened? You know, when's the last time you met a new per a person that you never met before, and in short order they said, you know what, there's something about them. I think they know God. And, and it seems like their life is all about putting the spotlight on God and not on themselves. See, too many times we're like a sponge when we need to be a mirror, right? So this, this, the thing for the head today is to understand what it means to glorify God. It means to make much of God. Um, here's some more. Um, we said make famous. I like this one, to boast in. Uh, to glorify God is to boast on God. Um, to honor. That's another word. This is interesting. Part of the definition to weigh heavily upon um, and, and part of the definition is to be heavy so apparently I have a lot of glory <laughs> um, and the last one is to be weighty and weightiness or heaviness is this idea of largeness you think of stone mountain you know nobody's going over there and picking up stone mountain apparently it's just the tip of a really massive granite substructure that's in the ground. What's in the ground is much larger than what sits on top of Stone Mountain, apparently. Um, you look at that and, and you think that's a weighty thing. That's a massive thing. Even you're driving down the highway, you can see that thing, right? Uh, that's the idea of glory. Glory is, is this larger, someone of, of great magnitude and majesty that you cannot ignore. Get that. Someone who is glorified is someone who cannot be ignored. How many people ignore God? Okay, let's, let's back that question up. I know it's going to get uncomfortable. And here's my, how many of you and I ignore God? You say, Pastor Paul, I'm here. 
Doesn't that count for something? Yes. Yes, it does. And I commend you. But do you ignore God in, in your everyday life? Is he at your constant? Is he right there on your mind at all times? I started reading a book again. I used to read it every year. And memory loves this book. Um, it's one I made all the leadership team read as soon as I got here 17 years ago. And it's called The Practice of the Presence of God uh, by, a, by a, uh, a, yeah, Brother Lawrence, a middle-aged, a middle-ages monk. Uh, and it's a fascinating read. It's just his letters, you know. And, and his whole, the whole thing of this little short book, and you can read it, I'd say an hour, hour and a half, you could read the whole thing. But the whole import of his book is simply this. He learned to keep God's thoughts of God and to, and to be in communion with God all the time. And, and, and that whenever God left his thoughts, it, he would, as soon as he realized it, he would come back into the presence of God. And uh, it, you ought to read that book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And yet we forget God, don't we? We forget about God. So that's how come this is so important. That's the, that's the head, something to know. Now, what about the heart? Something to embrace, accept, and receive. Now, here's a truth in this. <laughs> okay, so we know, here's the knowledge. We know that, there, that God should be showing up and showing out in our life every day. Right. And I'm just, and I think it's, a, is it not a fair question? I ask myself that. How often is God showing up and showing out in my life? I feel like I'm so much more of a sponge than a mirror. I soak up the glory of God. I love His presence, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm, I'm doing a great job reflecting that to the people around me. Okay? So that's just a thing. Are we doing that? Are we remembering God? Right? Sure. Yep. Gone. Yep. Well, go get this little book, $1.99 at Lifeway, The Practice of the Presence of God. You can download it on your phone, you know, probably cheaper than that. He's got the answer. He hated working in the kitchen, and guess where they put him in the monastery? In the kitchen. He hated it. And yet he learned, he learned to love the presence of God so much and uh, that he loved working in the kitchen because he just spent time with God in there. And apparently, um, they say that his, his food became famous because it was of such excellent quality, which he says, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just enjoying God. And I'm enjoying his presence. And it came out in his, in his cooking. Is that happening with us? How are we making much of God? How are we making God famous? How's, how are we purposely letting God show up and show out in our life? What do we do when we lose that? You know, and, and Lawrence talks about that, you know, and how he quit beating himself up. He just, he just rejoined the presence of God and went about his day. It was beautiful. beautiful. You've got to read that book. All right, so what about what do we do or, or what do we embrace? Something to embrace, accept, and receive. I'm going to make a statement here, and I want you to chew on it. And here it is. Uh, the more you enjoy God, the more you make much of him. Right? The more you enjoy God, the more you make much of Him. Uh, I spent some time with Stephen yesterday morning. We drank too much coffee together for a couple hours at, uh, at uh, 
I want to say Cracker Barrel. That's not right. Where were we? Chick-fil-A. By the way, they have great coffee. Uh, Chick-fil-A's got the best coffee in town. And I discovered, I thought about this after we parted ways yesterday morning, is uh, when you meet somebody new and you're having a conversation, generally what comes to the surface is what you enjoy. And what do you think he and I got talking about on my end? Hunting. That's right. It's that of my sermon. <laughs> yeah, because I enjoy hunting, and apparently he does too, so it's a God thing. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we elevate and we reflect what we enjoy. Isn't that true? Um, what, what are some things that we, and those aren't bad things, by the way. Uh, hunting's a good thing um, for now until God recreates everything. And then I believe there's going to be catch and release hunting. Going to shoot them, go over there, blow on them, and they're going to fly away. It's going to be great. And maybe they'll be both ways. Maybe they'll hunt us and make it fair. I don't know. But it's going to be wonderful in the kingdom. <laughs> but, but what are some things that we love and enjoy that we tend to talk about? Sh shopping? Elvis, we'll have a special time of prayer after church for you, brother. Shopping, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if I can love hunting, she can love shopping, I guess. Elizabeth, don't hang out with her. <laughs> Yeah, shopping, getting the best deals. Uh, what else are things that people love and talk about and comes up in their conversation early? Grandchildren. Grandchildren. Well, that, that makes sense. I get that one. That one makes perfect sense. And I always say I'm not going to be one of those annoying grandfathers that talks about their grandkid all the time and shows them pictures. Well, I'm the worst. <laughs> it's just too much fun. Yeah, what we love, that's what I'm saying. What we enjoy, what, sad, what gives us satisfaction is what we tend to express to the world, isn't it? Right? So how, here's a fair question. How do I receive, how do I, how satisfied am I with God? How satisfied am I in God? What am I focusing on at that point in my life? Um, the more you enjoy God, the more satisfied you are in God, the more you will make much of Him. <clears throat> but here's the question, how do I embrace that? And I want to ask you some real, I think, fair questions today. How often do we even think about what, who God is and what he's done for us? It's, it's what Tammy said. We, we have all intentions of, of keeping that the forefront of our mind, but we get to work and somebody's in our parking spot or somebody doesn't do their job. Now you had to do yours and theirs. And before you know it, the only, your only thought of God is calling fire down from heaven to destroy those people who dared to aggravate your life and make it harder. I'm there. I do that. Don't we all do that? So how do we embrace this? How do we, how do we receive this, this thought of glorifying God? I think there's an answer. And it really comes in the next section, which is the hand. Because there's some, obviously glorify is a, an action word. It's a verb, right? It's something that we do, right? So this is, this is something that we're to be about. It's not a concept. It's not a noun. It's a verb. So what do we do with that? Well, Philippians 1.11 says this, being filled with the, listen to this term, with the fruits of righteousness. Think about that. So righteousness has results. That's what fruits mean here. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, don't miss this, which are by Jesus Christ. Where does this righteousness come from? 
Jesus, not you. And I'm going to talk, that's, that's so key to this here in just a second. But being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, what do we do with that? To the glory and praise of God. Did you catch it? Okay. This righteousness, theologians call it an alien righteousness. An alien means something outside of you. Totally outside of you. This righteousness that we have in Christ is something that has, hear me now, has nothing to do with you. And by righteousness, just when you hear the word righteous, it sounds like right in there, doesn't it? Rightness. Think of completely right, total perfection. So there is a total perfection that we enjoy that has been granted to us not by anything we have done, but in spite of everything we have done. It comes by Jesus Christ. And when we live in this rightness, in this right standing with the Father that He so beautifully grants us through the Son, you know what it does? It brings the Father, here it is, here's the word, glory. We glorify God. We make much of Him. When we, when we are constantly understanding and enjoying the fruit or the result of this righteousness. So question six says, how can we glorify God? Now this is important. He says, we glorify God, first of all, this is the long version, it's in your bulletin. We glorify God by enjoying Him. And I think that's the first step. Here's something for you to do. Your homework this week is learn to enjoy God. And ask yourself the question, what do I enjoy? Well, I, I enjoy eating very much, sometimes too much. Uh, I'm enjoying the Olympics. I don't know about you, I think those people are mostly crazy. Who wants to jump off the side of a mountain and pretend you're a bird and fly? But I'm so, I just love watching ski jumping. I'd never do it, but I love to watch it. I enjoy it. Do I enjoy God? And maybe the next question is, and this is a fair question, don't you think? How, do I, how does a person enjoy God? So, so tell me, how do, we, how do we enjoy God? We spend time with Him. You, you talk about Him and you talk to Him. So prayer, we say spend time with God. You know, I, I think sometimes that's a churchy thought. What does, it, what does it look like in a real world to spend time with God? Okay, you make the time to sit, to talk, and to listen. You talked about devotional time. Is, is what... You share them with other people, right? We enjoy him. We know how to enjoy other people, right? Now, are there some people we don't enjoy? If you're sitting next to them, don't look at them right now. But there's some people we don't enjoy. Why are there some people we don't enjoy? They're boring. Elvis, come see me after church. I got a word for you later. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And she just said that to me, and I'm preaching. She said they're boring, so I don't know what to make of that. But man, boring people. Oh, they're irritating. Y'all know some irritating people? I said, I had to confess to Brother Jim yesterday. I said, Jim, I've discovered, and I was asking him, because he's a little older than me. I said, is this, 
is this like everybody or do I just have a bigger problem than most people? I said, the older I get, the more irritating people are becoming to me. That's terrible, isn't it? And I, I guess I'm just getting old and cranky. I, I guess I know there's not much time left and I'm not going to spend it with people who irritate me. I'm glad my wife doesn't feel that way. Because <laughs> I'd be on my own probably, right? <laughs> yeah, they're irritating. Someone said complainers. Oh, I can't stand being around a complainer. Unless I'm complaining, then it's fine. Right? <laughs> people who complain. We don't like being around complainers. And if you go read the Old Testament, apparently God doesn't cotton to complaining too well neither. It's something about quail and them throwing it up and it coming out in their nose. He does not like complaining. All right? So how do you... We know, we know people we don't enjoy. What is it about people that we do enjoy? What makes, us, what makes some people enjoyable? Huh? Positive. Don't you like to be around people with a positive attitude? David and I have a friend in common, Charlie Colgan. He just, he's a strange guy. And I hope he hears this message. But he has got a magnetism about him. And the best I can tell is it's just what Arlene said. He's just positive. He just, he enjoys the Lord. And, and he's just got a, an outlook that's like, you want to hang around that guy. You want to be with him. Why else do we, what other qualities do people have that we want to be around and that we enjoy? They're loving. They love us and we what? Love them. Don't you, don't you like to be around people you love and that you know love you? <laughs> and when I say love, I don't mean sloppy agape sentimentalism. I mean love that is, you know, when you're sick, they're picking up the results of that at three in the morning and cleaning the floor so you can go back to bed. That's love. People who have got your best interest in mind, right? Yeah, we want to hang out with people who love us. And we appreciate that and we enjoy them because we know that in return they what? Enjoy us. And isn't that true about people you enjoy? They tend to enjoy your presence too. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, we, we, there is such an appointment coming with you too. <laughs> this is good, you know, this is how discipleship happens in the body of Christ. Yeah, you know, this, people, we enjoy people who enjoy us. We love people who what? Love us and vice versa. So see, this is not rocket science. You understand this at a very earthly level. And my thing is, God is no different and God is very different. God is no different and yet God is very different. Romans 7.22 says this. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This is Paul talking, and he's, and, and he's saying, he's just giving all the bad news about he is so eaten up with sin. And, and I believe Paul is talking about his life before Christ. And Paul says, but then, then he talks about life after Christ. He says this, yeah, I got a problem in my flesh, but I'll tell you where I don't have a problem. That's in my inner man. That's your spirit, body, soul, and spirit. And Paul says this in Romans 7, 22, For I joyfully agree with the law of God, where? In the inner man. At the core of who I am, I have total agreement with what God commands. I got no problem with God's law. All I want to do is obey it on the inside. The problem is getting the inside, what? To the outside. And Paul fully admits that later on in the verse. But, but he says that, I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner man. Psalm 37 and 4 puts it this way. We're talking about enjoying God. David says, um, from the Lord, he said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? 
And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, hmm, okay, so if I get this delighting thing of God down, then I'm going to get, like, you know, a Ferrari. That's not what that verse is saying. Not at all. It, it, the word delight, think about somebody you delight. I delight in Myra Kreth. I really do. Not always her mother and father, but always her. Right? I just delight. Just this morning, she comes walking in with her curly hair because it's damp outside and her little cowgirl boots. And she came running, and I actually got a hug. She, she's very stingy with those. She came right up to Jaju and gave her a hug, gave me a hug this morning. I delight. I see that kid, especially if she's coming towards me. Oh, my. I mean to tell you. And she puts her arms around and gives you a big hug. Man, that's, that's delight. And David says, you delight yourself. That word delight means to be your first priority, your highest degree of pleasure and joy. And when God is our first priority, when God is our highest degree of pleasure and joy, he gives us a desire of our heart. That doesn't mean you're getting a Ferrari. What that means is he gives you the right things to desire. And you know what those always come back to? Him. It's a big circle. The more we delight in God, the more he causes us to want to delight in God. Do you see it? The more, the more we make God our first priority, the more we love God being first place in our life. The more our highest degree of joy is in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the more we want to spend time with God. The more our joy and delight is, is in Him. It's really not that hard. I'm not telling you rocket science stuff here this morning. But, but this is what God put us on the earth for. He also said... That we are to love God, not just by enjoying God, but the other part of our, our thing in the long one in, in the bulletin says, by loving God. Now, don't we, just, don't we just kind of normally and naturally love the people we enjoy or we enjoy the people we love? And, you know, and, and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, you're this great teacher. What's the greatest commandment? And they were really talking down to him because this was a catechism question for little Jewish kids when they were two. They were really just, the word is patronizing him. I tell you what, and this is just free. This is not in a sermon today. If I was Jesus, those Pharisees would be nothing but grease spots on the ground with eyeballs looking up. I mean, I would have torched every single one of those guys. I would have. Those guys were not nice. But they come to Jesus and say, oh, great teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Well, you know, every Jewish kid's been taught that since they could understand words. He said, well, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength. And then he gives him another one. He says, and the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself. And in the parenthesis there, he's saying, and I'm your neighbor. How are you doing with that, Bobo? Okay. Right. You know, that's in the parenthesis, but that's exactly what he's saying. Love God, love people. And then he said this, he says this. He says, on those two hang all the law and prophets. In other words, if you get loving God and loving people down, you got no problem with the rest of it. Okay? On that hang all the law and the prophets. You just love God. But can I ask you a question? Can we just be honest in this place today? How easy is it to love God? Just, just tell it for you. How easy is it for you to love God? I don't know about you, but I'm just going to sit up here and tell you the truth. I, I run a hot cold on that loving God. Because here's why. I am so immature sometimes. I love God when he does what I like. I don't like them so much when my house burns down. Can we just be honest in here? I love God when Elizabeth and I are clicking on all cylinders. 
I don't like them so much when she's off. Okay, when I'm off. <laughs> Isn't that true? We run hot and cold with the love of God. Man. But part of enjoying Him is loving Him. So how do you build your, your love for somebody? My mom always taught me. And it's, she, she taught me some weird stuff. I wasn't sure it was right, but she taught me some good stuff. Sitting around a kitchen table. Way too early in the morning because she still thought she was on the farm, even though we weren't. And I'll never forget her saying to me, son, let me tell you something. Because I was, I had gotten to that age where girls were both terrifying and wonderful at the same time. And she said to me, let me tell you something about love, son. She said, people don't fall in love. I said, they don't? She said, nope, they fall in ditches. But love is a choice. And it, it's, it's pretty much as sterile as that. And then she gave me some information I would have preferred not to have. But she said, there's mornings I wake up and I look at your father and I think, I could not love this man any more than I do. How have I ever been so blessed? Then there's other mornings I wake up and I look at him in the eyes and I say, what have I done? <laughs> How did I end up with this guy? You know, and she says, and it's on those latter days that I remind myself, Judy, you chose to love him. And that's your responsibility. And you're going to act loving towards him even though you don't feel it. And, I, and, and that really helped me. Because love, at the end of the day, is as sterile as a decision you make. So today, decide to love God. And what you choose to love will grow. Your love will grow as you decide and make decisions towards loving that person. And it works with God as well. The other one is trusting God. So we enjoy Him, we love Him, and the more we enjoy Him, the more we love Him. Isn't it like a duh that you're going to trust Him? Yes. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? Some of your heart? No, all your heart. And don't lean on what? Your, okay, let's just have repentance here today. How many of you have leaned on your own understanding before? Your best ideas. Man, my best ideas have gotten me in more trouble than I can even tell you about in three sermons. Don't lean on your own understanding. Then it says, in, in how much of your ways? All your ways. And then it says this weird little word, acknowledge him. What in the world? Acknowledge him. What's that mean? It means know that he is right there with you no matter what you're about to do. So when you type in that website and hit go, he's there with you watching what you're watching, guys. When you run that red light, I don't do that. Only pink ones, but never red. He is sitting in the seat with you watching that. When you choose to act unloving towards another human being, he's right there. And, and acknowledge it. He's right here with me. And you know what? When we acknowledge God in all of our ways, I like... The translation of the last part that comes from the New American Standard. He says, and he will make your path straight. You know why a straight path is good versus a windy path? What's the difference between a windy path and a straight path? Huh? Got to go in curves. And you can't see what's coming around the next curve. But when I got a straight line, I can see it. I can see what's coming. And I can see where I'm going. And I can see the destination. My parents took me and my sister to Jamaica when we were 15 and 14. 
Apparently they don't believe in a straight road in Jamaica. And they don't believe in safe driving practices either. But they do believe in one thing, and it's their horn. I'd never seen the like of it in my whole life. Windy roads going way too fast. And they're like, they're in the other lane. Wrong side of the road as they're driving super fast on a, on a corner, and they're beeping their horn. So I guess the, the deal on the road is there. If you hear a beep in response, you might want to get in your own lane. Are you kidding me? And that's how you got from place to place. I learned to pray in Jamaica at the age of 15. And I realized, you know what? A straight path is much better. When we acknowledge God in all our ways, look, 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 look. It takes the decisions out of it for you. There's no more room to sin because God's got the straight path. And you say, yeah, he's right here. We're not doing that. That makes sense? So we trust him. And then the last one. All of us are going somewhere. How do I glorify God? I enjoy him. When I enjoy him, I love him. When I love him, it's easy to trust him. But it don't end there. Then it says, and by obeying God's will, commands, and law. He said, oh, I knew it was coming. There's a negative in there. I got to obey. Obedience is not a negative. You know why God gave you his law? Not because he hates you, it's because he loves you. <laughs> he gave us the law so that we can have a life that matters and has significance and meaning. But there's a problem. How are you doing keeping that law? How's your law keeping going? You ever broken one of those laws? This morning? Right? That's an impossible task. Which is why we have an impeccable Savior. Okay? Yeah. Obedience matters. Obedience matters. And because God loves us, He cannot ignore our disobedience because our disobedience is harmful to the object of His love. Somebody needs to hear that today. Your disobedience to God harms you and God loves you too much to let that pass. Now, beautiful truth of it is, the ultimate, the ultimate penalty for your sin has been dealt with. And God's discipline is only for your gain. So whatever God disciplines you with, it's because he's crazy about you. And it's always done in grace. It's always done because he loves you, not because he doesn't. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells it straight. He says, hey, no discipline is fun while it's happening. You ever been there? Hmm? It's no fun. Nobody likes it. The Apostle Paul says, well, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Oh, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Whoever wrote Hebrews says, but you know what? At the end of the day, stand up on those wobbly legs after you just got a beating from the Lord. Because it yields, here it is, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It teaches you, mm, you know what, that hurts. I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore. That sin, that, ends, that takes me places that hurt. I want to stay inside of righteousness. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. And I'm going to kind of 
wrap us up with this thought. I want you to hear me. Nobody ever lived the Christian life successfully except one person. And who was that? All right, here's a news flash for you. He's the only one who still can. I can't. But you know what? I don't see Jesus breaking a sweat trying to do what's right. I see him fighting against sin and the temptation to run in the face of really hard circumstances that are right around the corner. You're not going to live the Christian life successfully. But there's one who did and who still can. You know what your job is? Your job is to get out of the way, get out of your own way, and let Jesus Christ live righteously through you. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Get out of the way and let Jesus show you what the righteous, practically righteous Christian life looks like. It's the difference between do versus done. And please don't miss this. Oh, if you do anything with this sermon, do not walk out of here. Not one of you. Don't walk out of here saying, I'm going to keep God's law this week and I'm going to obey Him. You will mess it up before you leave the parking lot. No, I mean it. Don't go out there and do that. Instead, it's not what you do. It's not what you have to do. The best I can do, put Jesus on the cross. Got to know that. It's what's been done for you. It's not your striving. It's your resting that leads to righteousness. You rest in what Jesus did for you on the cross. I am sinless in the eyes of God. And you are. He couldn't, he, he couldn't love you anymore. You have Jesus' perfect record. Rest in that, and that resting will lead you to a practical righteousness, a practical rightness. You rest your way into righteousness. You don't wrestle your way into righteousness. Now, are there some battles that we have? Yeah, but don't battle, listen, don't battle the sin. Battle from the standpoint of the Savior who conquered that sin. I've had some of you call me, Pastor, I, I blew it again. I know your sins that easily tangle you up, especially the guys. We talk. I get a phone call. I did it again. I said, well, you know what, brother? That's not you. You made a decision based on who you were, not who you are. That's not you. That's the old you. If I read the scriptures right, that old man is dead, for we've been crucified in Christ. That the body of sin might be done away with, taken out of the way. You just, you just made a decision based on a dead man, who you used to be. That's not who you are in Jesus. So get up off the ground and thank God that He's got you and He hasn't rejected you and that you are righteous in Christ. In the inner man, you have total agreement with the law of God and that's not you. And thank God you rest your way into right living. You don't wrestle your way there. The only wrestling is from a point of victory. As, as You've got to wrestle to remind yourself sometimes. Okay? That's where the battle is. The battle is, is fighting for the reminder, not for the righteousness. The righteousness is a byproduct of resting in what Jesus did.
for you. I want to wrap it up today with, with um, a video that's going to come up here um, in a second. Uh, Wednesday, the 14th, is odd how the calendar worked this year. But this Wednesday begins uh, the season that is called Lent. Now, I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not big into you know, the church calendar and all this stuff, but I love anything. I will use anything that challenges me to repent of my sin and to press hard into God. And that's what the season of Lent does. It, it's based on the 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness fasting. And of course, you know what happened at the end of that. Satan came and tempted him. There's something about 40 days that, that, that God just works through. And so we're coming up on that season, and it begins Wednesday, this Wednesday. And it takes us right up to uh, right before Easter. So it'll be 40 days to the very end of March. So this Wednesday into the very last day of March. And then April the 1st is Easter this year. Um, so I want you to watch this brief little video. 